0: Hi, this is Cliff Grego with another Field Notes uh, Report for Wednesday, the 27th of June 2018. We're up here at uh, Thanksgiving Base Camp at about 2,300 uh, meters, officially in the Eagle Cap uh, Wilderness on the south side of the Wolaus. And as you can hear from my footsteps, it's very dry here. And uh, it's not quite the beginning of July, of course. And we're still in what I think of as uh, summer solstice time. Don't forget that comes as a wave, a big crescendo, decrescendo crescendo from winter solstice to summer solstice and back again as one cyclical wave. So it's not just the day. Primal peoples, of course, would think of it much more in that way, I think, as a period So that's uh, how I, uh, it just seems second nature to me to think of it that way. So I'm looking at, it's a spectacular view here. (laughs) Um, There's absolutely no one in sight. Oregon blue sky weather. It was a hard trek uh, up here. Um, about a vertical kilometer, a thousand meters, climbing up with a heavy backpack with all this photography gear and recording gear, sun panels, and all the rest of it. And uh, it took me by surprise uh, because I left later in the afternoon and I have a place where I love to stop. I keep all these secret, of course. And there's a beautiful spring nearby uh, but I get there, and I was out of everything, and I was hiking to a cache that I didn't arrive at until this morning. So I was out of everything, and the spring was dry. I've never seen it dry in summer solstice time before. So changes like that, if you actually experience them yourself with your own feet walking about are breathtaking and you don't forget them soon and in my view it's the best way to do climate crisis work with your own instrument, your own mind, body, spirit, the whole thing. and. Um, Then when we talk about it to other people, it has a uh, different quality of authenticity, a different quality of resonance, which I think is badly needed everywhere and not just all things related to climate. So at 23, 2200 meters here, I'm surrounded by magnificent whitebark pine snags. I'm looking at two right here. Now they could have been dead already uh, two, three hundred years ago. It's a very uh, resistant, tightly grained uh, wood, and they are not quite bone white. Whitebark is a little bit of a misnomer. Pinus albicalus, albicaulis, albicaulis—that uh, for white bark—and they're really granite gray when they come out of granite gray. This is basalt that we're on here. Uh, but when they do come out of granite, alive or in snag form, uh, it's absolutely breathtaking. They create the preconditions of their own flourishing, of course, and can root in that organic mineral soil with almost no nutrients, so to speak, and I'm just grabbing something here. And now I'm looking to the south. My office is down there somewhere. And it's almost two vertical kilometers lower, so that this down there in canyon must be awful hot down there. It got up to about 32 degrees C here. And now, what I wanted to talk about, um, I'm going to keep this uh, short because otherwise I won't be able to post it. Is what I call sickative cold front winds. You can also call them desiccating cold front winds, but I think I was searching for a better term for more punch, more impact. And I I have a habit of reading etymological dictionaries and I just love to do it and do so almost daily. And to just uh, have fun with the roots and sounds of words. In I had uh, I wasn't familiar with. If you were an art historian, you would know it as a noun for added uh, chemicals uh, to paint to help them dry more quickly. Um, but the the Latin, Greek, proto Indo Indo European uh, European root, sicus is dry, thirsty, without rain. Now that's spot on. Dry, thirsty, without rain. The official, last time I checked, the official snow water equivalent for the nearest by Snowtel Station was 39 percent. and I'll do another report on that magnificent new uh, LiDAR technology where they're reading snowpack from the air with NOAA, for the most part down in California, and that's rightly so because they're in um, much uh, worse shape than we are up here in Oregon yet. And very precise airborne laboratory snowpack uh, recordings. And I've been complaining about it publicly ever since I started working here on and off 10 years ago that the snow towel uh, uh, reports are highly inaccurate and misleading because they are not um, taking into consideration the dramatic changes happening right before our eyes of climate crisis. And so would lead one to believe if one is like where my office is, I'm looking right out there, doing a shout out to all the close friends down there. But it's a long ways away. It's uh, and I I came here. and am very um, I should not boast, and it's not just pride. But it's uh, for me it's a matter of necessity. I came here entirely by foot or with my uh, bike, uh, mountain bike, plus Bob, uh, Missoula. And I do push uh, biking. And, uh, but uh, as I was saying, running out of water yesterday, and I was out of food, basically. So, and at the same time, one of these desiccating, sickative, cold front winds. So that would be, let's see, SCFWs, SCFWs. That's not a bad rhythm for an abbreviation because, um, again, like Confucius said, uh, wisdom begins by calling everything by their proper name. And while up here, there are many new things that are not on our map of uh mother nature and our relationship with mother nature so i'm looking to the north i'm turning around and i obviously have a viewpoint in all four directions here up here at thanksgiving base camp it's a very great privilege to stand here right now but it's also uh, a very great uh, responsibility because remarkably this is official wilderness But I have not seen a single soul in two full days with perfect conditions, Oregon blue sky weather. If this were the north side, say coming out of Joseph, there would be hundreds of people doing day hikes here. Now we're not advocating hydrocarbon man trampling of uh, a pristine, meadow. But we are advocating, is that a good word? Pilgrimage. Pilgrimage is a purification and uh, spiritual science, artistic work. So I wouldn't have to say a thing. And that means that we come with all humility, humility. You don't have to go to Mount Kailash to do a pilgrimage and a circumambulation. All you have to do is just don't use a car here and it'll take your breath away. The first thing you will notice is that um, one does not take water for granted. Because you're going to be walking from spring to spring to spring. And a lot of those springs, their little snow melt, seasonal creeks, are quite a distance from each other. And a lot of them are becoming more unreliable as we speak. And when it actually happens to you, brothers and sisters, you won't forget it. What is it, like two billion people walk to fetch their water every day, infrequently of questionable quality. And up here is a mountain monk pilgrim. I feel sorry for myself. No, I'm just kidding. But I I have to walk about 300 meters to get world-class water coming straight out of the earth at about four or five degrees centigrade unfiltered, you drink it right from Mother Earth. Now that'd be healing, especially after, for me it was just 24 hours, but you'll never forget that experience. So what's the first thing I do with it is is to lug it back to camp and make coffee. (laughs) But all of those climate brothers and sisters around our living planet, think of that once or twice a day. Water is one of the heaviest things on the planet, right? Don't think we're going to be taking water in spaceships anytime soon and things. Are getting drier and hotter, and um, I just saw a nutcracker. I wish they would come in. The first thing they did when I arrived here, much earlier than I thought, is that they completely surrounded my camp. And of course, I uh, is that um, yeah. Can you hear? I hope they come this way. It looks, I can't quite say it, but it looks like we have a uh, healthy uh, whitebark pine cone crop, and so they keep track. They wouldn't be quite harvesting seeds yet, but they keep track of that, so they fly in clusters, groups, bands. This was a small one of about ten. So they surround my camp just to look at cliff, and of course they remember me. They have a the most developed, certainly in the avian world, memory of any uh, bird species. Think of that. They can remember thousands of caches. Now, avian friends, how these things are counted, now we've opened (laughs) them. They must be inferring from statistical data. But uh, uh, there are many things you hear about uh, Corvids, um, and um, Clark's Colombiana Nucifraga, Clark's Nutcrackers. I just call them crackers. But I always hear them before I see them, and I did uh, this morning as well. So they surrounded my camp to say hi. Here comes Crazy Cliff with all the gear. (laughs) And then they'll see the smoke of the fire. That must be of some interest uh, to them. And they're, think of that, they're up here all year round. I wish I could say the same for myself, just to be with these pines. It would be possible. So with some industry, I hope to increase, I don't want to say that, the amount of time, increase well, for want of a better expression, the amount of time I'm up here. Yeah, there's some more, but they're a little bit too far away to pick up. But I'm surrounded by white bark pine here and the great uh, subalpine firs, obvious Lacio carpa. I call them spire for, for their magnificent gestalt, the profile. Like here's a custer, what's unique about this magnificent, uh, immense uh, meadow before it goes up to the highest peak in this area, with uh, featuring granodiorite and wallowa granite. Thrusted up from five kilometers below the surface of the earth. Think of that. Well, is that most uh, tree islands, as they call, are called? This is not continuous forest, it's almost entirely open. And in the past, heavily uh, overgrazed, not with cattle. Uh, but with bands of sheep, 1,200 ewes to a clip that would compete with each other, financed by Chicago money. There's a lot of money involved, Chicago money, but imagine a 1,200, the maximum size in the Alps is uh, 1,220 ewes, 1,200, and then there would be multiple fowl and snow snowmelt. So they wreaked havoc with the whole of the I was And after World War Two, after evidently the demand for wool was declining. And in the Alps, uh, that, that used to be a major part of your income. Now they just kind of throw it away, the wool here as well. There's a rumor that the price is picking up because evidently the Chinese see that they might have good use for it. But that's very tragic. So uh, I would be all in favor of smaller bands of 120 with a shepherd, but uh, who on earth around here would ever do that? Nobody walks and everything's done by hydrocarbon man. But because of that overgrazing, Native invasive species like a kind of field lupine have come over and just taken over the entire meadow. And what this looked like originally here is anybody's uh, conjecture. But the white barks were most likely not, uh, that's a theory, not a fact. Seriously affected by the overgrazing. They could be, that's still grazed by cattle, think of that. That's totally beyond the pale, in my view. There, It's a very cut up fragmented mosaic of private, public, forest service, wilderness. Nobody knows where the hell the boundaries are. I wouldn't have wanted uh, to be at the meetings pre-1964, when they drew up the boundaries for where the wilderness, official wilderness, protected by the Wilderness Act. So where I'm standing is roadless, and you're not permitted to come here, thank the gods, with any kind of hydrocarbon man-powered vehicle. But sickative, sicus, dry, needing rain, without rain. Well, sickative, cold front winds. I'm walking some of this, through some of that field upine. There are many species of upine. And they evidently hybridize too, I'm making an excuse because they're hard to determine the individual species of. Here are some Sinatios, there's some Flux. And of course this is uh, everything below here, this is a south-facing slope. So even at this altitude, I'm looking at sagebrush, Artemisia tridentata, a plant I use quite a bit, mostly for uh, smudges and incense. Down in my office I can't be without it. Named for the virgin goddess of the hunt, Artemis. and is a plant of many, many uses, but is also an indicator plant of hot and dry, so it's right here, ready to roll. <laughs> this, if this above here, it stops right here on the south facing slope. And it's a lysosol, a very rocky soil, so those rocks are picking up tremendous heat during the day. And just above me. I'm dependent on a solar charge to run everything up in here. It's an absolute breeze. Some places it's difficult, but there's 14 hours of direct sunlight here. And my theory is this area was used as the stone hinge of the Native Americans to determine the stars and especially. What we were just talking about—the movement from winter to summer solstice—is a crescendo, crescendo getting bigger, louder, growing, and decrescendo, the opposite. So, if you're not a musician, you draw those with two hairpins. It's a beautiful uh, analog image of getting louder and softer and one of the greatest cycles in the universe. So charging your devices up here is a breeze. And uh, But these desiccating cold front winds. So let's get, now close this little field note report with a proposal in dialogue, that's what we do. So it's a theory trying to make sense of the fact. They always arise mutually in real science. So there are never facts without theories. There are infinitely many facts. And these desiccating, sickative cold front winds, well, they've obviously perhaps have always been here, but not in this way. That's a theory. And I have seen in the past 10 years on and off working here in all seasons a tremendous uptick that uh, becoming much more severe and um, regular in their periodicity. Rolling through almost like a Swiss train every 10 or 14 days and if you're actually up here, like running out of water, in these winds, you won't forget it anytime soon. Because you'll have blue skies like this and a cold front that doesn't have any moisture rolls through. And then on top of the heat, it does get slightly cooler. So we'll probably drop down into the 20s centigrade tomorrow. But they generally bring almost no moisture, but at the same time constant 20 to 50 kilometer uh, winds coming mostly from the west-northwest. And that's why CS, I gotta practice. So, sickative cold front winds S-C-F-W's, scf SCFWs. Yeah, that's not bad. Well, uh, call everything by its proper name. That's what, I actually named them like hurricanes. So this is Betsy, this is the second big one that um, I've experienced out here in the warmer season, moving towards summer solstice. And what's unique about them, well there are many things, is first, how they desiccate everything. And of course, if you're out here actually doing photography, field work, recording and whatnot, uh, you're not gonna forget it because you're in the wind all the time. Even though it's blue sky, and you're like, this soil here, if you're a seedling, say, a a stone pine, white bark pine seedling coming up. Well, you don't have a chance. There's just no, I can dig down into this, uh, this soil has no moisture whatsoever in it. So the established plants like sagebrush, they're, they're going to weather through no problem. Here's some Indian paintbrush, that'll make it. Nope, the fox. That's a cushioned plant, so it's designed for drought. The Sinatio has a deep taproot. That's designed for drought, too. But um, which ones are the conifer species? So we have, this is the limit of Douglas fir, right here. I'm looking at some. They don't go any higher than this. And everything below this 22, 2300 meters, interestingly, that's the limit of the glaciers of the uh, Pleistocene. So it's 20,000 years ago to 10,000 years ago when they started to pull back. So in glacier time, that's an in and out breath. Think of that. And it carved this flat, undulating, up and down, magnificent, huge uh, meadow with very labyrinthian, aperiodically distributed tree islands that are probably, uh, they always begin. This is Linda Tombeck's work, excellent work. The uh, editor and founder, I think, of the uh, Nutcracker newsletter, together, I think, with Robert uh, Keene in Montana. Excellent, excellent work. But um, the tree islands is kind of self-evident. I'm looking at one in the distance. It's about 150 meters away. And there is a magnificent old growth that's in steep decline. It doesn't hear us. Steep decline. I mean, how would you (laughs) be just, oh, yeah, Cleff, in steep decline. (laughs) Well, thanks. That... uh, they begin with the white barks. They uh, establish uh, footholds of soil and uh, protection against the fierce winds up here, even without our sickative cold front winds, our SCFWs, see, we're practicing. Um, and then the obvious uh, carpa the spire firs. The subalpine firs come in with that very distinctive church spire um, form that they have and surround it. So you could walk around that whole tree island in a matter of minutes, and is dying right before our eyes. The firs are—in the time that I've been working here, a good one-third of those ancient trees— have passed away. So with emphasis, climate change is a non-linear deal. It's not turning up the thermostat. Everybody kind of loves it in Holland. They can go to the beach in April and go swimming and sit in the cafes. Well, this isn't a bad deal. And not thinking about uh, the soon to be inundated 40% of the land. Well, up here, we're above sea level, so that's not the problem. But the hotter, drier climate, and don't forget our theory, together with the fact, the theory is that snow line is going up two centimeters, about the width of a thumb, every day. So above that line, it's still snowing, and below it, it it used to snow, but no longer. So that snowpack is the uh, rancher's money in the bank, and it's not just for the rancher. Um, Where there's snow, there's conifers, and where there are conifers, there's snow. They necessarily go together. And the conifers are what hold down the snowpack for the ranchers. But there are no ranchers up here. Almost never, unless they're equestrian horseback people. Almost never. And again, they don't want to hear that it shouldn't be graced up here. But that's, uh, that's simply a matter of dialogue and working out what's right for everyone but especially uh, for the earth. And uh, it has to be based on actual fact, an actual, real, vibrant, exploratory, explanatory theory. Well, the theory is that these winds, their sickative effect, is very profound, and they are definitely fire winds. We've been blessed. I mean, it's fire in this part of the Northwest is a roll of the lightning dice. And that's becoming increasingly probable that a strike uh, with rising temperatures and rising, we already have 7% plus more water in the atmosphere, energy. So you would think it would be getting wetter, but it doesn't work that way because it's first and foremost nonlinear. And then secondly, you get those rising lines that we see. They're, they're drawn with a ruler that is the statistical average. And that's very uh, deceiving. That's the, the Dutch sitting on the coast. Said, well, this isn't bad. I got shorts on. It's only April. I don't have to go to Italy on vacation anymore. I can go swimming right here. And, um, well, that's, that's an average. And what we want to look out for with that rising water content energy are the extremes. Too much snow at the wrong time. Too much rain, which isn't being held at the wrong time, causing flooding, taking down snowpacks. A year that happened in January the first, 1997. I wasn't here, but it must have been one hell of an event: rain on top of snow. That's not going to happen. Knock on wood, right now. There's, uh, I'm looking at a, the highest peak here is about 2650 meters and on the north side i haven't been up there today but there's uh, almost definitely continuous snowpack there should be glacier but we've lost that that's the money in the bank the reserve about 85 percent of all water here comes from snow melt so otherwise this would be a totally nevada like place So the orographic or mountain uplift is causing the air to cool and cool air can hold less water so it has to get rid of all that precip and it comes mostly in the form of the blessing of snow. Just um, last year at this time I didn't have to bother running to that uh, 300 meter away spring I was doing all my cooking with snow melt water just because of laziness. And there was a drift here about two or three meters deep. Let's see, four years, was that already? Four years ago, I was camped here on May the 19th on top of three and a half meters of snow. And that snow was already gone within five weeks after that. I've never seen snow disappear that quickly. Little chipmunk is showing himself munching. What is he munching on there? They're being very simple. I'm up here without a tent, hoping for the best. This time of year, it's such a shame to lug up all that, gear if you don't really need it, and it takes away so much of the wilderness uh, experience. Let's hope for the best. Now I'm looking to the north at very deep uh, coals, it's, uh, it's wrong to call them streams, it's where the snow melt and storm surge, um, it's like a pressure that has to relieve itself, so they come periodically. Normally, those would still be entirely filled with snow and very, very difficult and quite dangerous, especially just for backpackers if you don't have crampons and an ice axe. They're the place in the Wallawas with uh, uh, accident potential because if you uh, uh, glide out, lose your footing, they can be 30, 45% incline, so you're basically uh, all the way down the slope, In the Alps, that's also one of the the ever-present dangers, but there is mostly on glaciers. Here it is traversing these draws, I guess that's a good name to call them, I'm looking right at them. I'm also looking directly at the site of the, what's that, three and a half years ago, the avalanche tragedy that killed two people, injured two severely. I think it was February the 14th. But I don't want to talk about that right now. I don't know if you can quite hear that. I'm just sitting on a big basalt rock. That's more than a meter tall. Checking my solar panel over there. We're still picking up some photons. But that snow in those draws, that's entirely gone. So, secative cold front winds, desiccating cold front winds. Which do you like better? I like sickative sicus, dry, without water, because it sounds like sick. And uh, you need call things by their proper name. So when we don't have a name, these are new winds, that's my theory. The fact is what you hear that's not snow, that's dry earth everywhere. And what does it take to dry out a white bark pine? That's a nonlinear event that's not a gradual thing. So you cross a threshold and it's like flipping on the lights: dark, light, light, dark. Or tipping a canoe. It's one of the analogies. Nothing happens, and then all of a sudden, you take in all the water. And at one point, they don't have enough water to perspire, respirate, so that they can cool off. That they have to shut down, close their stomata. Well, we don't know. But what we do know, you see, the fact is that they're dying. And it's not just because of mountain pine beetles or white bark pine blister rust. Almost every single white bark pine up here is affected by both of those to varying degrees. The mountain pine pandemic cooled off up here 2012-2013. But they're still showing signs of steep decline. And I don't hear any nutcrackers. On the north side, where it's drier and where there are very many more people, There are far fewer nutcrackers. And I didn't do one of these talks last year. I should have up at uh, Echo Lake at 25 North Echo Lake out of Hurricane Valley, very close a day or two from trek from Joseph in the wilderness, absolutely magnificent. Uh, But the whitebark pine, even at that altitude are in very bad shape and working up there four or five days, not a single Nutcracker, only one, a solitary, and I don't understand enough, I don't know if anybody does, about Nutcrackers to say, well, do they just, do, do the old uh, ones just stay at the burnout, worn-out places as kind of a potential messenger? It was a very sad sight, totally alone. Normally it's a very convivial, raucous, lively, energetic, powerful bird. And again, I always hear them before I see them, which fills the heart with joy. So a sickative cold front wind, call a thing by its proper name. So let me know what you think. Get out there and do some real spiritual climate crisis science with thy feet. And the longer you can stay there, the better. Thanks for listening. This is Cliff signing off for the field notes in picture-poems.com. Thanks for listening. Ciao for now.